All right. Well, um, how many of you are uh, like Lord of the Rings? Yeah? Yeah. So the, the uh, somebody said boo. I don't even want to know who that was. I don't even know who you were. I still love you. Um, it's a great line in the books that isn't in the movies, but that's okay. It's close, but it's not quite there. Um, Faramir says to Sam, after Sam pays him a massive compliment, tells him he's a really high-quality person. Faramir says, praise from the praiseworthy is of the highest sort. And so I, I take that from Casey uh, very seriously. You folks have some wonderful pastors who have given of themselves to you. Um, one of Paul's favorite things about Jesus is that Jesus loved, Paul says, Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. And I think that that's the pastoral model you, you guys have. You have staff who love you and give themselves for you, to you. And so I think this is a wonderful ministry. And uh, it's my pleasure to be down here. Seriously, it is, it is an honor. Um, I will try to remember to swivel 180 degrees so none of you feel left out. Um, just holler if you're like, you haven't looked at us in a while, or something like that. That's fine. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, it's cool to see some of the old-timers. Me and Brad and Brandon and Casey go way back. Uh, it's cool to see some of you Sikkim folks, uh, Jamie and Travis and Justin and, and uh, a longer list who I promise I remember your name, but I just won't list you off all here tonight, um, right now at least. And uh, it's been really cool to meet uh, some new folks. Met Gabe, met Adam, met uh, others as well. So uh, I would love to meet every single one of you, and I promise I will do my darndest to remember every single one of your names. I also promise to fail. Um, but I'll do my best, and we'll have a good time. Um, I come from Bellingham, Washington, which is almost as far up in the northwest of the corner as you can get. We're about 20 minutes from the farthest corner, and I come from Slushville. Uh, it snowed and snowed and snowed, and then for whatever reason decided to rain and rain and rain, and so I live on a bit of a hill, and there was probably a centimeter of water like running down the hill, when I left. So I got here, stepped off the plane, and was like, it's cold, but it's dry. <laughs> oh, so it was kind of nice. I didn't have to have my, my uh, rain predicted. I, I apologize. It found me. <laughs> I was hiding. Oy. Well, uh, we are really looking forward to meeting more of you, as many of you as possible, who will be able to come to Sikkim this May or June. We love having you guys come to the Student Institute of Campus Ministries where we get to spend a week with you guys, and it's, it's our privilege. Um, we're also super stoked. Every, one, every spring break, we send out these mission trip teams, mission teams, and we get to send you guys, a mission team from our campus, to partner with you guys for what you're doing at the very beginning of, beginning of our spring quarter. And uh, our campus is pumped. They're really excited to come. And uh, excited to partner with you and learn from you guys and see what you guys do and uh, try your ministry on for size. So it'll be great. I'm, they're, they're already talking about it. We already showed a video and everything and everybody cheered when they saw UTD and the rest. It's awesome. Well, I am really excited about this weekend. Um, it is going to be great, eh? Um, yes. I tell you what, if you learn to say A, I'll do my best to try to learn y'all. How about that? Does that work? We can geographically cross-pollinate linguistically, right? Um, and I'm excited not just because y'all are really cool people. Um, a. And I'm excited not just because you're college students, which means I don't really care who you are. You're automatically uh, in my good graces. I think college students are some of the coolest, brightest, sharpest, most excitable and excited people in existence. And uh, brother knows what's up. And uh, so I really like hanging out with you guys. But uh, the, the, my main reason why I'm excited is that the reality is we get to spend this whole weekend getting to know Jesus better. And uh, Jesus has changed the world. He's changed my life. He's given me a life. How many of you got a life when you met Jesus? Yeah. Got a life. Got a wife. You'll meet her later. She's not here, but you will meet her on the screen. I know, I wish, I wish, but yeah, she's, ah, I like her. 
<sighs> but we get to know Jesus at a lot of different levels this weekend. We get to know him uh, biblically through his word because the word of God is living and active. What you, what you hold in your hands when you hold a Bible is a living document. Some mysterious and very real way God talks back through these pages that he inspired the writers. And we get to listen to him this weekend. And it's fantastic. Uh, we also get to know him at an emotional level. I, I used to think emotions were lame and I didn't want them in my life. Partly because I'd kind of been enslaved to them for too long. And so I reacted the other way. I said, emotions are bad. Um, they're not. They're a part of who we are, part of what makes us human. And worship is one of the places where God redeems our emotions. He gets us excited about the right things. He moves us in the right directions. And so we're going to get to know God emotionally better through our worship. It's awesome. And we're also going to get to know Jesus at a relational level. Because the way you interact with each other says something about how you view Jesus, about how you think Jesus views that other person, how you view that other person. So the way you treat each other will tell each other who you think Jesus is. So be nice. Just kidding. So, um, and the very best part of this whole weekend is that while I may be excited, you may be excited, staff may be excited, Jesus is more excited than all of us put together to have you here this weekend. Because he has some things to say to you. And he has some ways he wants to meet you and encounter you. He cares way more about revealing himself to you, telling you who he is, showing you more and more of who you are and what that combination of you under him can look like in a deeper and more profound and more expansive way. And so he, above all, is excited about this weekend. So, um, let's see here. Before I tell you exactly uh, the, the, the track we're going to study in these five sessions that we have together, um, I want to start... Uh, with a very personal question, okay? It's just between you and God. You don't have to tell anybody if you don't want to. Um, but here's the question. And I promise not to be playing the Wii while I'm up here. This is actually a remote that begins... Oh, I hit the... Oh, Justin, what did I do? No, I hit home first. My apologies. See, I knew I would do this. I'm terrible with this thing. Even in the game, I lose every time. Yeah, I... No, I... Don't say that, because I'm bad at that. That means I'm really dumb. That's okay. You lose two? Oh, good. Okay. One, yeah? Cha-cha! All right, we're good. Okay. This is the question. This is the question I want to start our time off with. If God ripped open the sky right now, to tell you something. What would you like that to be? Seriously, if this roof flew off and in front of all these people, God said something to you this weekend, what do you hope that he would say? And I want to just give you some time to think about that for a little while. You can write it down and then we'll move on. Come back to that question a little later. So, what are we going to study this weekend? I'll tell you a little bit about that, then I'll tell you a little bit about me, and then we'll go on from there, okay? Like I mentioned earlier, uh, this weekend our theme is Encountering Jesus. I think it's a pretty good theme. Uh, but the particular angle we're going to take on meeting Jesus this weekend is that we are going to focus on one gospel writer's account of the life and teachings of Jesus and see what those episodes that he records for us teach us about him. And then, as with every text in Scripture, we're going to take the spotlight of the story 
and turn it on our own lives and say, okay, Jesus, so what? What do you want for me? Why would this writer record this story for me? Because that's what it's for. That's what the Spirit does. So our title for this weekend is Encountering Jesus Through the Inspired Epic of Luke. I am recovering from a cold, so if I do that, that's why. Um, Every writer in Scripture has a particular set of emphases in mind that shape the way they communicate, right? You read any of Paul's letters, and they're addressing a particular situation with a specific set of reasons behind why Paul wrote each of the letters he did and what he included in each of those letters that he wrote. Yeah? And we're going to talk more about this in a session, I think it's tomorrow, right? On what is a, what is a gospel? What is the genre of, of a gospel, of which there are four? What is that? Uh, what, what's, how do you define that? What, what goes into that? What do we learn from it? Anyway, I, I'm going to have a good time with it tomorrow. I hope you join me. It would be cool. Um, and... Uh, there's also a particular audience that each of the writers in Scripture are addressing. Like the churches in Corinth, which are different from the churches in Rome, which are different from the churches in Philippi, yeah? And the gospel writers are no different. John says it very clearly at the end of his gospel, in chapter 20, verses 30 and following. He makes it very explicit. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But, they, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that that understanding would give... Oh, sorry. And that by believing, you may have life in His name. So the writer of the Gospel of John has a particular theme, a goal, a purpose in writing his Gospel. And that was so his audience would believe that Jesus really was the Messiah and the Son of God, and that that understanding would give them life. Yeah? John just says, hey, I have a, whole, I have a purpose in writing this Gospel. Here it is. This is what I hope you get out of this thing. It makes it very explicit. Every gospel writer has an agenda. A particular theme, a reason behind the things they record and leaving out parts of the story that we'll never know. They're selective about what they choose to record about the life of Jesus. And Luke is no different. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's a very important point, by the way. The Spirit is involved in the process the entire time. So it's not just like Luke is like flipping a coin. Which story do I do next? Mm, okay, that one. It's a, there's a very, very uh, theological, inspired, Holy Spirit-led process of Luke writing this gospel. If you look at the very first verses in Luke, you find out exactly why he writes his gospel. He says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know with certainty, or the certainty, of the things you have been taught. So, who's Luke's audience? Theophilus, yes, very much so. His friend Theophilus, my um, most excellent Theophilus, Theophilus. Now, the word Theophilus really just means lover of God. So it's possible that while Luke has a particular person in mind, because there were people who were named this, he, he might also be using a rhetorical device here that welcomes anyone who considers themselves a lover of God. Isn't that clever? So while he certainly has an audience in mind, he also has a much broader understanding of how helpful his gospel might be to anyone who calls themselves a lover of God. And I think you'll find that Luke is very clever and very beautiful as you study him this weekend. English majors like myself love this gospel. How many of you are studying English lit? One, two, three... We few. We happy few. Y'all are majoring the wrong stuff. No, I'm just kidding. So, let's learn a little bit about Luke, the writer of our, of our text for this weekend. This is a uh, photo of Luke. Everyone was cartoon back in the day. 
But uh, we know that Luke is the only Gentile writer of the New Testament. He's the only non-Jew to contribute anything to the inspired canon of the New Testament. Which means he was a foreigner to the things of God's people up to that point. Now it's likely that he was, he was, he was uh, what's known as a God-fearer. Uh, which is someone who wanted to follow God, the God of the Jews, because they admired the, the moral clarity, they admired uh, monotheism, and they admired the, the story that is the Judeo uh, worldview. They admired the, the arc of the story, where it was heading, and the hope it offered, and all those kinds of things. But they weren't quite dedicated enough to uh, go all the way, which for the men of the community meant circumcision. So, you know, it's understandable. But at some point in his life, Luke, the Gentile, the outsider, gets captured by the message of Jesus. Now we know that he becomes dear friends with the Apostle Paul, and that probably in conversation with Paul, because people do that, friends converse and discuss things, especially spiritual friends like those two, uh, and probably other influential people in the Antiochian church, which is where he probably was discipled and and raised up in his faith, um, at some point went to work on a detailed account of the life and teachings of the Savior he had come to love. And one of the reasons that I think Luke's gospel is so good to study is that Luke was a doctor in the ancient world, which means he's a very precise individual who's interested in the facts. He cares about data or data. How do you say it down here? Does it matter? Good. Information. (laughs) Details. He cares about specifics. And that kind of fits into our, how our minds work today. Yeah? Hey. <clears throat> what we want to know is what really went down in the life of Jesus. So whether you've been a Christian for most of your life, or you're here because you're just starting to explore Jesus, or somewhere in between, Luke is a good fit. Now, unfortunately, we don't have time to study the entire gospel chapter by chapter, as awesome as that would be. I can't encourage you enough to take a chapter of Luke and and chew on it for a string of days, maybe a string of weeks, journal about it, ask Jesus what he's saying to you through it, and then move on to the next chapter. Move on to the next chapter. And just spend the next 18 months, maybe 18 months in your quiet time, just slowly chewing through Luke. That is a marvelous way to study scripture. Um, uh, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon was a, a British preacher, probably one of the best ever. And uh, he said, I would rather lay my soul a soak in half a dozen verses than rinse my hands through several chapters. This idea of, of laying your soul a soak in just a few verses, just soaking in those, going slowly through Scripture. It'd be a great way for you guys to study Luke. But we don't have time to do that because we have five sessions, right? And I'm not going to be here for the next 18 months. Um, I have a family. Um, and I like them. I've lost my spot in my notes. Ah, okay. So instead, instead of laying ourselves a soak together for 18 months, you can do that on your own time, which I encourage. We're going to pick five episodes, five important episodes from the Gospel of Luke, one for each of our sessions. And we'll walk through those chewing, detail by detail. And we'll let God speak to us about his son, Jesus, through what Luke recorded for us by the inspiration of the Spirit. And again, that's what's so cool about Scripture. While we study this text, you will hear the voice of God. And it won't sound like this. (laughs) In the context of community, in the context of singing, in the context of your own reading, in the context of the words you see on the screen, in the context of the way I've chosen to frame my thoughts, in the context of talking to each other in the process as you learn... The Lord's truth will lift to the surface and he will say things very clearly to you. And he will shape you and he will make you into more of the person he, made, he wanted you to be. It is so cool. This is a living document. Ah, I'm, it, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing to study scripture. So, the text is God speaking. It's not merely Luke's words. It's not merely Luke's version of what happened. It's Luke's words as he was inspired by the Spirit of God, the breath of God, the Word of God going forth. When you talk, you realize that air comes out, right? If you, if you talk and you put your hand in front of your mouth, air comes out. The, the combo of word and breath, that's a beautiful mystery that the Old Testament says, Spirit, 
God's word and his breath, kind of the same thing. Anyway, isn't that cool? I think it's cool. So the spirit is God's word coming to us. Um, and we'll look at it for our own lives. We'll pay attention to how these texts matter to us in the 21st century, on our college campuses, in the, in the, the post-Christian world that is becoming the United States of America. It's getting there a lot faster where I live in the Northwest. This, this place is, a, is more wonderfully slow to get um, post-Christian. But uh, we'll see what we can do to change that, right? All right. So with those things in mind, I think it would be a good idea to pray. Okay? So let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much um, that you are unlike any God. There is no God uh, who we shout, who anyone else can shout Hosanna. You are the God who saves us. There is no other God who comes to his people. Everyone else, what they have on offer is do these things to arrive at a relationship with God. Climb this ladder. Fulfill this checklist. Be this kind of a person and you will arrive at God. You are the only one whose message says, no, no, you can't do this. I will come to you. And so, Lord, come to us. We welcome you, Lord Jesus. Come have your way among us. Lord, as your voice lifts through these words in the text, I pray that you'd shape our hearts. Spirit, you are here. You have promised your presence with us. And we are your students. You are our counselor. You will walk us through what you want us to hear this, this weekend. We bless you for that, Lord. Jesus, take center stage. Let's take center stage all day, all weekend, the whole time we're here. Not just this time we spend in the Word. Take center stage. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, one of the many cool things about Luke is that Luke opens his gospel with origin stories. And it's some of the, 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 the Christmas lore uh, mostly comes from Luke. The, the John the Baptist background story, the Jesus background story, the Mary, the big, long Mary encounter. It's all there, and it's marvelous. Matthew has a lot of that, too. A bunch of dreams that, that Joseph has. Um, anyway, and so uh, it, it, Luke begins with stories about Jesus' family, his background, his relatives. And I like that about Luke. I think we all kind of like that. We're relational beings, yeah? We like stories. We like hearing testimonies um, and, and background on the people we want to learn from. It's always more interesting to spend time with people when you know a little, about where they're a little bit about where they're coming from, right? So, because Luke starts with background, I think it makes sense that we should too. So I want to tell you a little bit about me. Um, my parents decided to spell my name weird when I was born. And I've been, I've been him ever since. It's pronounced just like everybody else pronounces the name, but I, I was born to confuse people who meet me. Now, in Kenya, which is where I grew up, which we'll talk about a little bit later, that is just unkind. <laughs> this lady, one time I was in seventh grade and I went to a Bible camp and the lady said, where's, where's Brother Odueso? Where's he at? There he is. George, you know this. Here, I'll do the accent. You can tell me I do. I said, I said, hello, hello, miss. My name is Jeff. She goes, how do you spell it? And I said, uh, G? She said, G. So it's Geth. I said, no, no, it's, it's Jeff. She said, I don't, don't, don't make, just, what, what's next? What's next? G-E-E-O. Oh! So it's Goff. I said, no, no, it's, it's Jeff, ma'am. I'm, it's, I'm sorry, it's just a confusing spelling. She said, I don't, I don't, what's next? And I said, F, F, F. Another F! So it's go for I was just like, ah, no. No, it's, it's Jeff. I'm sorry. She says, ah, just give me the name. She wrote it. That is fine. She's a sweet lady. She loves Jesus so much. She just made fun of my name. Um, and I've got a pretty big family. I'm the first of five kids. Um, are there any firstborns here? Yes. All right. You know what's up. This is my family. Uh, my parents, they're back on the mission field in Kenya right now. They're a part of the growing um, support the church movement in, 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 in uh, sub-Saharan Africa. The, the new range of Western missions is not 
first contact missions. Kenyans are doing the best evangelism, pastoring, outreach, social justice stuff, way better than the white Western missionaries ever did. And so all my parents do there is support. How can we help you? How can we encourage you? How can we train pastors? How can we be like three layers back behind the action so that you as a culture and as a people can begin again teaching the West, sending the West missionaries? Because that's the real, the new Christendom is the, is the, is the third world. Um, my, my brother and sister-in-law, are he's a junior high youth pastor down in Vancouver, Washington. And then uh, my sister's living with us. She's getting a master's degree in um, uh, something cool. And uh, my two younger brothers are still in college, one at Eastern Washington University and one at Western, where I'm at, uh, in Bellingham, which is cool. And uh, I grew up in Kenya, as I mentioned. There, I grew up with Christian parents. And when I was six years old, we boarded a plane, me and my two siblings at the time, and we flew to Nairobi, Kenya. And this is a picture there. Bustling metropolis. We weren't, um, I, had a, I met a guy, uh, Papua New Guinea. Where you at? Name? Benji. Benji. Met Benji. He spent time in the bush. I was in the ritzy city. Um, I was not a hardcore missionary like my brother over here. And, uh, but it was still cool. I enjoyed it. Loved it. Um, after I graduated, I came to college at Western Washington University. Some of you have been there. It is actually that pretty. It's gorgeous. It's a great place to go to school. I got there and was like, oh, man, score one for the good guys. It was awesome. I was excited. Um, and in the midst of many explorations uh, and experiments with truth in college, one of which included what to do with my hair, Where, where's Steven at? Where's my brother on the keys? There you are. I walked in and was like, I know that man's face, but I know nothing else. It looks awesome. When I close my eyes and think of Jesus, I think of Steven. You just need to get more like tan, like more Arab looking or something. Anyway. And, uh, in college, in college, Jesus met me in a profound way through his word, actually through Luke. There's a passage in Luke that um, t- transformed my life, transformed how I understood myself, um, made me realize, for whatever reason, for the first time, that I was actually screwed without Jesus. That, that being a good person and a kind of a goody-two-shoes guy was going to get me nowhere um, because I would have I missed Jesus. He didn't come for people like me who thought they had it all together. And uh, Luke, Luke helped me learn that. Um, and then through the community of Campus Christian Fellowship, which a lot of you have visited, and, uh, and we'd love to have more of you come. Come to Sikkim. Whoop, whoop. And uh, it's a great place. So I gave my life to Jesus in college, and I told him he could do anything he wanted with it. And I've been learning what that looks like ever since. And uh, while at Western, I met an amazing woman. She was way out of my league. Still is. Um... She was two years ahead of me on the educational curve, and I realized, when I realized this, it finally, anyway, I was like, she was in our ministry, right? I can't even talk about her straight without, I was, I was she's just great. I, I was, uh, I admired her, I respected her, I thought highly of her, and she was so, like, not in my range of thinking that we could ever get together, that I would, like, date other girls who were like my age and in my kind of my circle. She ran with kind of an older crowd. She was like that cool. And, uh, and I would compare these girls to Jessica. Like, okay, so here's the gold standard. These girls, yeah, they're cool. They're cool. But they're probably like 60% Jessica, 40% something else, you know. And I would compare them to Jessica. And uh, why is that picture still on? I, there we go. That's better. That's her. She's, whoo, Foxy. She's so great. Anyway, so uh, we started dating, and it, the internship that we do up in up at Western, um, they, we just we we have a rule that if you're not in a dating relationship already, don't start one in the midst of it because. First of all, trust me, you don't got time for a romantic relationship when you do the internship. B, if it doesn't work out, the drama is just let's just avoid it, right? Um, anyway, so the internship ended on June 24th, and I asked her out to breakfast on June 25th. Um, and she said yes, which I was like, ah, sucker! <laughs> You're stuck with me now. 
And she said the same thing when I asked her to marry me. And then I was like, you are so stuck. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm glad. She, she is my favorite person to be around. Uh, when I have free time and want to spend it with someone, she's top of my list. It's probably a good thing because we tend to spend a lot of time together as a married couple in the same house. You know, you should probably like the person you marry. Just, just my wise counsel before tomorrow's amazing counsel. Sunday, you guys are going to have a talk about romance, and you're going to get some great stuff. Great stuff from these guys. Um, together, we have two children so far. I know, right? What in the world? One of them is Owen, who some of you met last year at Sikkim, and the other one's still cooking. He's in there. Not on me. And uh, we actually found out yesterday that he's a little boy. Yeah. He, uh, he was not shy about posing for the camera. He made it very clear that he was a boy. I was like, son, son. Son. Uh, yeah. So, his name is going to be Jackson, which I like. And uh, he's still paying rent for the umbilical cord until about June when he moves out. But uh, Owen has already moved out of mom's tummy. And uh, he's now renting a room from us down the hall from my bedroom. And this is him. The bottom right is uh, Blue Steel, or Magnum, I haven't decided which one. Um, the top left was his first foray into the realm of the potty. Um, he has since failed every time since. <laughs> He's great at identifying. He goes, poop poops, poop poops. I'm like, do you have to go poop poops? Let's go to the potty. And I pick him up, and I drop his diaper, and it's in the diaper. And it's like, oh, ugh. okay, so next time preemptively that's all right and he loves water he loves water he will you turn on a faucet and he just dives for it one time i had him on the counter next to me because i was brushing my teeth and he likes me to reach over and kind of brush his teeth and brush his teeth and i turn on the water and he just dove into this tub son there is a metal fixture here and your head is a head and when it hits you will be wounded um just be careful, my kid. And uh, he's great. He is a lot of fun. I don't know what the top right is. He's, he's trying to be tough or something. I don't know. But he's 20 months old. And uh, he likes to play with his mom. And uh, yeah, I, I miss them tonight. We, nighttime is kind of me and Owen time. We like do a little teeth brush. And then we go into the crib. And I, I, we don't go into the crib. He's in the crib. I take him into the crib. Ay, ay, ay. Move along, move along. Anyway, we pray together. I said, you want to pray? He says, yeah. And so I close my eyes and I do this really heartfelt prayer. And I'm like, oh, Lord, this is so special. I get to pray with my son. He's just 20 months old. And he's already a man of God. This is so cool. And I say, amen. I look down and he's got his monkey. He's waving it around. And I'm like, yes, Lord. Just whatever that is. Whatever that is, I'll take it. So, and, uh, and we love each other. He's a, he's a pretty fun kid. Yeah. He's a special dude. Yeah, so Owen is, is like, probably like one of my favorite parts of life, in a different way than Jessica is. But uh, he's just one of my favorite parts of life. Uh, I, I'm kind of smitten with him. Uh, even though the dude is a little sinner. I tell you what, this, this kid has got issues. But it doesn't matter. I love him. I love him like crazy. I miss him already. He's also learning to talk, which is a hoot. Because he can't say truck. So on garbage day, 
big truck. But it doesn't say truck. I have it on video. My foul-mouthed little son. Oh, man. And he says, he says, he's a very excitable child. So he always says, oh, 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 before the next word. And so it can be, oh, spoon. Oh, dada. Oh, mommy. Oh, truck. And it's. I have it on video. I can show you later. It's, it's just foul. I didn't even like get a bleep, a beeper for it. Anyway, anyway, he is just a blast. And I, hopefully many of you will get to meet him soon. If you come out for Sikkim, he'll be there. And, uh, man, this kid, Owen has opened up a new world to me. He has just opened up a new world to me. One that I, I knew about in theory, but it's now becoming more and more tangible to me. Here's what I mean. Before Owen was born, I was never really um, on the giving end of parental love. I've been on the receiving end for most of my life. I had parents. And they loved me as best they could. No complaints. I really love my, my folks. We have a good relationship. Um, for some of you, that's not your story. So you'd say you've never been on the receiving end of parental love. Maybe ever. Maybe it was once in a long while. But I'd never been, on, been the one giving parental love until Owen. And uh, I was a father for the first time. And he came out looking like a frog. He was long and skinny. His limbs just waved around. And uh, I was, for the first time, I was looking at another human being through, through father's eyes. Now, before I'd, I, I had Owen, I, I thought I'd understood what a father's love was like uh, because I'd, I'd watched my dad. I'd watched my dad love us kids, and he loved us pretty well. I'm really, I'm really, uh, I really respect my dad a lot. I'm going to try to be half the man he is. But uh, because of that, and because of that relationship over the years, it's been a bit easier, not anything close to perfect, but easier to understand God as my heavenly father, uh, who's actually, if you think about it, who's actually more my real father than my dad is, and all of yours. Who actually made you? Who actually decided what family you'd be born into? You ever think about that? You didn't have a whole lot of say in where you were born. And who still tells me how to live even though I'm over 18? My Heavenly Father does. And uh, in these last 20 months since Owen was born, uh, I am just starting, just starting to approximate the way in which God loves me because how much I love Owen. I would love to, uh, to brush his teeth tonight and put his jammies on. And uh, he's just a great kid. Because of those things, God is teaching me in, in incremental tiny steps just how much he loves me. If myself, who is a goon, a, a mix of things, a soup of good and evil, really, um, if I can love this little boy uh, as much as I am overwhelmed that I do, how much more can our, does, does, not can, does our Heavenly Father love us? I think it's fascinating that when Sirach was talking behind the mic a couple minutes ago about how he was talking about how if there's one thing you, you know, we were, we're centered on that we start with, it's God's love. And I thought, man, Spirit, you beat me to it. You have gone ahead of me. Praise God. I mean, think about it. I loved Owen before he ever did anything for me. Babies are not very productive individuals, except at one end. Actually, that's not true. They spit up too. But I loved him. I love him. And he hasn't accomplished anything in life. He hasn't gained any accolades. You know? Won any medals that he says on TV, Thanks, Dad! 
That's not why I love him. I couldn't even have meaningful conversations with him at first. And even the ones now are kind of hit or miss, you know. And full of profanity, no less. But it just doesn't matter. None of that matters because he's my boy. He's mine. And I love him. I'm going to love Jackson. I love Jackson now. But uh, for dads, it's still kind of in theory. Like you see this, this womb growing. And every once in a while, something inside this womb moves around. And it's rather frightening sometimes. <laughs> but I love him too. So um, that's where I want to pick up our story in Luke. Okay? Our first, our first episode. This is where I want to pick it up. I want you to pull out that question that I asked you to think about at the very beginning. Okay? Have that in your head or on your journal in front of you. The first story we're going to read from Luke is uh, real short. The rest of them, the, rest, the other ones are a little bit longer. But it's about a time when God did what you wrote down on your, in your journal, when God did that for Jesus. He ripped off the roof and said the one thing Jesus needed to hear. The account is a little bit longer in some of the other Gospels, but Luke keeps it brief. But, and here's the kicker, it's in all four of them. When four different inspired writers who have diverse purposes and agendas in writing their stories, because they have diverse audiences and, and themes, etc. When four of those people include the same story, you should probably pay attention. It's probably pretty pivotal in the whole arc that all four of them are trying to communicate. And this one's one of those things. Communicate in all four. So let's read it, huh? It's from Luke 3, verse 21 through 23. Just three verses. Yeah. Now this is the last story that Luke tells about Jesus' life before his formal ministry begins. So let's read it, huh? When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. This is the kickoff event of Jesus' life of ministry. John the Baptist has been preparing the way probably for months, inviting the people of Israel to get serious about their faith in Yahweh again. To trust His promises. Not only to trust His promises, but to trust that His promises are on the very edge of coming true. The image he uses is the axe is at the base of the tree. And so you think about this, this lumberjack. We have a lot of those up in the northwest, or we used to. Now they're, they're robots that have these saw arms, you know. The <laughs> not really, but they just get a lot done, more than a guy with a little axe. But picture, you know, big flannel guy with a big beard, huge shoulders, and he's like 10 feet tall, and he's got this axe, and he's in mid-swing. And what John is talking about is that the axe is right there. The kingdom is just about to bang hit into the world. The axe is at the foot of the tree. It's you, you can't. There's a sweet image of right here. It's just on the edge of being done. So cool. Excuse me. And uh, and he and so John says because it's so close, he invites Israel. He invites the faithful to live expectant for God to fill His promise to fulfill His promises. And that's John, John the Baptist's whole message of repentance. Get ready. Change your life. Change your thinking so that it lines up with a life and mind submitted to God. Because God is about to show up. So get ready. Make sure you're ready. Because when he gets here, he's here. And part of the process of getting ready for God to return was baptism. This idea of ritual cleanliness. It was a statement of allegiance. It later becomes the commanded first step of obedience to Jesus. 
And that's what Jesus is modeling for us here. Before he begins his ministry, before he heals anybody, before he preaches any messages, before he's even assaulted by Satan, who tries to sidetrack him from his mission, before any of that, he steps into the Jordan River as a statement of a pure life of submission to God. And it's at that point in the story that God the Father encounters his Son. Now you think about that. Jesus is just about to begin his public ministry. There is an entire crowd of people watching. Because this guy is the guy John has been talking about. John has been banging his drum for months now. The axe is at the foot of the tree. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. It's right here. It's about to break in. And then one day, Jesus walks up and John goes, That guy! That's him! It's here! It's him! He's arrived! And so the whole crowd, you can just imagine. Really? People are like, what John was talking about! It's here! It's here! It's here! People running. It's a great response by John. John's like, are you, I'm going to baptize you? Wait a minute. I know who you are. Anyway, it's a different story. But point is, there's a whole crowd of people there. And what does God do? First, Luke says, as Jesus was praying, heaven was opened. What would that have been like? I like to think about that. And then the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in the bodily form of a dove. His power for ministry, his comforter, his counselor, his old friend from the Trinity has just arrived. The one he is later going to send to us. And it makes sense, right? If Jesus is about to begin his ministry, about to be a different kind of person, it makes sense the Holy Spirit would join him, eh? That's what he does for us. For those of you who know Jesus, who want to follow Jesus, who want to be a different kind of person, Jesus already was that person. We are called to be different kinds of people. God gives us superpowers. He gives us His Spirit. He gives us the ability to actually walk through life in obedience to Him. We were, we were once enslaved in the opposite direction, where we, were, where we were once armed to the teeth against God. God gives us His Spirit and says, now you actually have power because of me in you to live the way I made you to live, to live in submission and obedience and love and intimacy with me. That's what the Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus to ready him for ministry somehow. I don't quite understand how that works, but that's what's going on. And then, we hit Luke's climax in the story. God speaks. Now, it's important for for us to understand. I, I love the Gospels because they're dramas. If you are, if the Gospels are dry to you, you need to read them differently. You need to think of them as movies and enter the drama. Think, try to get your, your, yourself inside the heads of the people who are in the story, okay? And it helps to have some background, some, under, some, some thinking. Read good commentaries. Those are really helpful in helping you engage the drama of the story. It's, it's just money. Excuse me. Um, so what this would have meant to the crowd watching, it has been Almost 400 years since God spoke to Israel. God has been quiet. And people are afraid that he'll never speak again. They're afraid it's over. Now God has promised it's not over. But after 400 years, you start to wonder. After your grandfather never heard his voice. After your grandfather's grandfather never heard his voice. What what in the world is going to make my generation different? God has not spoken. And then John the Baptist shows up in the desert and says, the kingdom is at hand. God's about to do something new. And so you're waiting on pins and needles for God to do it. And then he does it. He speaks from the sky. Where in the Old Testament have you seen God rip open the sky and speak? When he gives the law, right? Mount Sinai. It's so freaky that people say, Moses, you go talk to God because he is terrifying. You be the one who gets zapped. We are scared. You go talk to him and then tell us what he says. 
Well, this is okay. So he does it. These kind of echoes would have been ringing through these people's heads on the banks of the Jordan River. God has ripped open the sky again. And he's speaking at long last. What's he going to say? What's it going to be after all these years? What's he going to say? Now, think of all the things God could have said. Of all the things God could have said. He could have said to the watching crowd, which would have been been fairly helpful to Jesus' ministry, Hey, all of you Jews, this is the Messiah. This is it. Pay attention. What this guy says matters a lot. If any of you are wondering, this is it. Or he could have said something different to Jesus. He addresses Jesus in particular. He could have said any number of things. Hey, Jesus, before you begin, there's an important theological construct I need you to be aware of in order to communicate the gospel clearly. He could have said that. He doesn't. He goes to all this trouble in front of all these people to say publicly a personal message to his son. He rips open the sky like legendary Sinai of old and says to this guy standing waist deep in the water, you're mine. You're my boy. And I love you. And I'm proud of you. How many of you are sure that if God ripped off this roof tonight and said anything to you, that that's what you would hear? Part of the reason Luke records this story is because that's exactly what you need to hear. That's what I need to hear. I need to know that if God could go to all that trouble of tearing open the sky, throwing scattering stars all over the place and peeling back the whatever is navy blue out there. Could say something to me in front of all of you. He would say, Jeff, you are mine. And I love you. And I am proud of you. Every single one of us needs to hear that. I have got to hear that. You have got to hear that. I'm a fresh dad. I'm just beginning to get my head around how much God loves me because I'm still surprised at how much I love Owen. How deeply does God want you to know? That's what he would say. God wants so bad for you to know that you are his. And he loves you. And he is proud of you. He is proud of you. And he wants to open this weekend the same way that he opened Jesus' life of ministry. He's your father. Or for some of you, he wants to be. Some of you might not be sure where you're at yet with this whole Jesus stuff. That's okay. Jesus wants to be your father. He wants to tell you He loves you, that you are His, and He's proud of you. Others of you are on the other side of the spectrum. If you're honest with yourself, you think, yeah, maybe God's proud of me. But that's because He should be. I work my tail off for this God. I mean, I work pretty hard. I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Since when was God's favor ever earned? You think he loves you because of what you can do for him? Others of you, that's not where you're at. You say, no, no, if I'm completely honest, there's no way that God could be proud of me. I'm, I'm, I'm a mess. I am too messed up. I would say it again. 
Since when is a father's love ever earned? This story of what God says to Jesus is important to hear for both kinds of people. Those who think they're too messy to be loved like this. And those who think they, eh, if they're completely honest with themselves, they're kind of, they kind of deserve, you kind of deserve to be loved like this. Here's why. At this point in the story of Jesus, what has Jesus accomplished so far in his ministry? Nothing. Jesus has done jack squat. He hasn't even started yet. This is pre-anything. He hasn't preached. He hasn't healed. He hasn't driven any demons out. He hasn't made anybody mad because he claims to be the person he is. He's done none of that. He has stepped into the river and prayed, been baptized by John. And before any of the beautiful, amazing ministry that we'll look at the rest of the weekend has happened, before any of that, God says to him, you are mine, I love you, and I'm proud of you. Proud of what? He hasn't done anything yet. doesn't matter. He's his boy. What does that tell you about your father's heart towards you? Friends, when you were born, you couldn't do anything for God. But he loved you. He loved you when you came out looking like a frog. In fact, as you lived your life, you started making your own choices, and a lot of them were sinful, you actually made yourself his enemy. And some of you may have even lived a significant portion of your life as a rebel for the cause, the cause of your own, I want to do it my way. Been there before. And all along, his heart towards you has been exactly the same. Because what you do or don't do cannot affect it. Cannot change it. Romans 5.8 says this, While we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. The demonstration of his love happened. The statement of his profound acceptance, pride, and ownership of us happened before we were ever his friend. Before we were ever nice to him. Before we ever loved him back. It's preemptive. It's before we do anything. His love for you, his love for me, is not based on what we've done. Henry Nouwen wrote a marvelous book that you should all read called Out of Solitude. It's very small, with big print and pictures on like every other page. I don't understand how this book is so profound. But it is. Read it, and don't read it like you would normally read a book that short with that big print. Soak on it. Chew on it. Take your time to march through it. Read it ten times. You could do that in a month. Easy. You could probably do it in a day. Read through it ten, twenty, thirty times. Just soak it. It's amazing. And in it, he says this. Our worth to God. Our worth is not the same as our usefulness. Our worth is not the same for our usefulness. You have to let that sink in. His love for you is not contingent on what you can do for Him. He just loves you. Period. Why do you think Luke frames this episode as the kickoff moment for Jesus' ministry? What do you think Luke is trying to communicate about Jesus to his readers by relating this story? I think it's this. The fundamental ingredient before you begin following God and serving Him is a confidence that He loves you before you ever did any of it. Friends, you are valuable to Him before you get started. Which means, and this is great news, your value doesn't change based on how things go from here. You can't affect it. He thinks about you what he thinks of you. 
permanently, indelibly. Jesus is going to call you to things this weekend. You better look out. And Jesus wouldn't call you to do anything that he didn't first hear his father calling you to do. He says so in John 8, 19 through 20. But before you get on with the program, before you commit, to, commit yourself to his way of life for you, you have got to be confident in his love for you before you ever get started. You see, you can't, you can't serve your heavenly father trying to get his approval. You'll always be disappointed. You'll always realize, man, I came up short again. Jeez. It'll, it's, it's, it's always what happens. But if you think about it, the fact that he already approves, then you're free, and you're even free to fail. You're free for things not to work out so well. Say, man, I really blew that one up. He still loves me. Loved me before, loves me after. It's not a license to go crazy, of course. It's comforting. It also means you're free to succeed. You're free to, for things to go great. Because you know he loved you fully before you ever got any accolades. Your love tank was full. And the praises for your success won't add anything to it. You're safe to succeed. When you're confident in your father's love before you ever start. Do you see how protected that is? When things go awfully, you know your father loves you. So you don't have to worry about feeling awful about yourself. When things go grand and fantastic, your father loves you. And all the things you accomplish for him, that doesn't change a thing. It keeps you level, keeps you even keeled. If you're confident in his love for you. Jesus started out his life of dedication and service with the supreme confidence that his dad had just ripped open the sky and told him in front of all these people that I was his. And he loves me. And he's proud of me. Jesus' ministry starts there. Are you confident that that's what God would say to you? Because we need to start where Luke starts. We need to start this weekend where Luke starts. Where God peels back this sky. Pushes open this roof. Says, I love you. You are mine. And I am dang proud of you. You're on my wall. I got trophies with your name on it all over my house. Everybody who walks in the living room, I tell stories about you. I can't stop talking about you. You're, 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 I just love you crazy about you. I don't care what you do tomorrow. I'll be crazy about you. Mm. Mm. I think sometimes we say, yeah, God loves me. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, everybody says that. But do you know that he likes you? Do you know that free time with you is his favorite? Sometimes we have to change our language. Love can be kind of empty. I love pizza. I love my wife. I love Owen. I love God. I love Star Wars. You know what I mean? I mean, our language gets limited. Sometimes it helps to get out of it. You know what? God likes me. God likes me. God likes you. So I'm going to pray for you. And then we're going to have some time in silence to just kind of journal and pray on your own. That's kind of how we'll start. And there'll be some, some sort of um, pondering questions on, the, on the, uh, the screen here. Okay? Before we do that, let me read you one scripture about God's love. For some of you, the, the father image is tough. That's okay. God gives us plenty of access to what his love is like. He gives us mother imagery. Some of you would connect better with that mother imagery. That's okay. Some of you will connect with, with mama bear. 
imagery. Think about how a mama bear reacts when someone does something to her cubs. That's how God reacts when someone does something to his cubs. So here's another, here's a, here's a mother image for you from Isaiah 49. Because let's be honest, one metaphor can't house God, right? Metaphors are his favor to us to help us understand what he's like. The incomprehensible God. And let me, let me tell you what I'm like. I'm similar to this. I'm similar to this. I'm similar to this. So he's our heavenly father. Here's a mother image. Isaiah 49, 13 through 15. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion, the people of God, said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. And God answers, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? If Jess were here, she could tell you all about how she loves Owen. She loves that little boy. God asks a ridiculous question. Can a mother forget her baby? The duh answer is no way. Of course not. But God says, though she may forget, even if she ever did, though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. God has tattoos on his hands with your names on them. There is no surgery to remove these tattoos. So let me pray for you. And you guys can think through these these thoughts and then we'll be done. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Luke, our older brother in the Lord. Thank you for what you inspired him to write down for us this weekend. Lord, I pray for every single person here that you would reveal yourself as the parent who loves them desperately. That before we go anywhere this weekend, before we respond to what you call us to in our lives, before we love each other, before we worship you, before we go forward in what you have for us, that we would recognize that before we do any of it, your love is as big as it will ever be. We can't be good enough to earn more of it. We can't be bad enough to lose it. Lord, may we be confident that we are yours, that you love us, and that you're proud of us. And I pray, Spirit, that you would make that tangible to every single person in this room. Use your word to do that, Lord. Speak to these folks tonight. Tell them the truth. Thank you. You promised to do that. Amen. Should this take some time? Think through these questions.